all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Good morning. Thank you for listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. Joining me today in the studio, I have Dr. Honey East and Nurse Practitioner Christy Davis, and we're going to be talking about metabolic issues. It's things like diabetes and high cholesterol and lots of other endocrine things as well. If you have a question or a comment, we would love to talk with you today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And I'm very excited about today's show because I have two very smart ladies joining me in the studio today. I have Dr. Honey East and I have uh, Christy Davis. Christy is a nurse practitioner and is 28 days away from finishing her doctoral degree. So it will soon be be Dr. Davis as well. So excited. Yes, very excited for that. And y'all have an exciting new um, clinical endeavor that's opening up, a new clinic um, called Metabolic Medicine of Mississippi. And we want to spend some time talking about that today and talking about what metabolic medicine is because folks might not know exactly what that means um, but it's I'm very excited about it because it's right up my alley with trying to help people live healthier uh, lifestyles so if you guys have a question about really anything related to healthy lifestyles diabetes high cholesterol thyroid those types of issues we're going to be uh, tackling all those today you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. and my email is fit at mpbonline.org if you would rather send your question in that way all right ladies uh, Dr. East, I'm going to start with you and let you tell me just a little bit about this this clinic, about metabolic medicine in Mississippi. Well, first of all, thank you for having us. Oh, We're welcome. thrilled to be here. And um, we have opened a new venture. It's Metabolic Medicine of Mississippi. We're conveniently located on East County Line Road, okay. close to Pear Orchard on the Jackson side. And we are focusing really on what we would call metabolism or metabolic disorders. And that's really an all-encompassing term. If you remember when we first started talking about metabolic syndrome around 2000 mm-hmm. or the late 1990s, it, it by definition is a dyslipidemia, meaning abnormal cholesterol, abnormal sugar, blood pressure issues, and being overweight, particularly in the midsection. Mm-hmm. And that's where we see the weight gain that is associated with more of your metabolic disorders. Yeah. And, you know, what you've described is something that affects tons of Mississippians. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I see it uh, daily in clinic uh, and it can 
once we're to that point where we kind of have multiple issues going on, it can seem overwhelming for folks, you know, kind of how do I start and how do I how do I tackle this? That's why it's so exciting for me to see a clinic that's dedicated to helping people figure out how to how to start, you know. Um, And so, Christy, I know your background, you have a lot of weight management um, background as well. And so those are some of the issues we can talk about today um, on on the show. And that number is one eight seven seven MPB ring if you want to give us a call about that. Um, Now, I put out a poll on Facebook this morning and asked which disorder people felt more confused about, whether it was diabetes or whether it was high cholesterol. Um, And for a while, they were kind of running neck and neck. um, But the one that has uh, one out is is diabetes is the one that folks feel the most uh, confused about. And, you know, I can definitely see that it can it can seem very, very complex. And there are complex parts of it. But you know, in a nutshell, diabetes, we've got sugar issues going on, blood sugar issues. Talk to me about um, the different types of diabetes and what that means. So we basically divide it up into two different types, although we're learning more and more mm. about the etiology and the underlying basis of the disease process. There's probably a lot more than just yeah. two types. But to simplify, we'll say there's type one, which is going to be an autoimmune disease where your body sees the pancreas as being foreign. And so you develop antibodies against your pancreas and you're not able to make insulin as your body needs Mm -hmm. it. Those are your patients who are dependent on insulin for life. Mm -hmm. Um, And and they have to take insulin or or they won't be able to survive. Then there's type 2 diabetes, which is more of a metabolic disorder, if you will. And that's where you develop insulin resistance. And so at least at first, these patients have too much insulin as opposed to patients who have type 1 diabetes who don't have enough insulin. Mm. And, you know, Christy, I know, you know, as a nurse, when we kind of came up in nursing school, at first they told us type 1 was, you know, juvenile diabetes and type 2 was adult onset diabetes. But we've kind of done away with those terms now, right? Because it's kind of been flipped a little bit or, or it's blurry. Those lines are much more blurry. It's much more blurry, but it's much more blurry because we're seeing a lot of, um, un- unfortunately, children and adolescents that are developing type 2 diabetes. And when you think about our obesity rates and the shift that we've had the last couple of decades, um, you know, right now we're number two in obesity in Mississippi, upstate, and so we're number mm-hmm. one in type 2 diabetes. And um, our obesity rate is approaching 60% by the year 2030. So a lot of that is actually children that, you know, unfortunately have a very unhealthy lifestyle. And, and you know, I'm not judging at all. I have I have to get on my kids all the time. Mm-hmm. They want to play video games, you know. And so you may live in a neighborhood where you don't want them outside running around like we did as kids. And, you know, it's both parents working. And a lot of times we're feeding them, you know, on the go to here and there and baseball practice and all these other things. So, Yes, we are starting to see a lot of juveniles that are type 2 diabetic now. Yeah, we, we do. And just like you said, it is hard. I mean, it's hard. I mean, the power was out this, <laughs> this weekend from the storm, and I thought my 7-year-old was going to lose his mind, you know. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we've got to, we've got to work on this more. Because it's, it, it can be easy to, to let some of those lifestyle factors slide when, when you're busy. But it's so important to start these foundations early with your kids so that they can continue those you know, healthy lifestyle factors into adulthood because it's much harder to change it once you're once you're grown and set in your ways there now why do you think dr east that people are confused about diabetes what do you think is causing that confusion 
for me, I think it's all the mixed messages that they get in the media. You know, like, do I eat carbs? Don't I eat carbs? Should I eat all fat and protein? Or do I need insulin? Don't I need insulin? Is insulin good? Is insulin bad? Like, there's so many kind of competing messages that people are are getting about diabetes. And, you know, one that what I would see in clinic a lot is if folks were maybe on insulin and um, using that to maintain their blood sugar, if they wanted to eat bad, they would just up their insulin to take care of whatever it is they were eating. You know, and from, from my perspective, from a lifestyle perspective, yeah, we may be controlling your blood sugar with medicines, but if we're not changing the lifestyle piece of it, we're just increasing our risk of other chronic diseases that are going to go along with this. Um, well, you bring up several good points. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly, though, if, if you are going to be eating something that maybe you know is not the best, right. and, and especially if you have type 1 diabetes, though it oh, is gosh. important mm-hmm. to increase your insulin mm-hmm. um, for that. I think there is a big misconception, though, for patients who have type 2 diabetes that once they're on insulin, they have to stay on oh, insulin. Yeah. And that's not always true. You know, if you can be an insulin-dependent type 2, which doesn't mean that you're dependent for life. It means that you're just dependent right now to control your sugars, which is completely different than if you were mm-hmm. an insulin-dependent type 1, where you would be dependent on it. Yeah, because you're not making any. You know? Exactly. To be able to have just normal normal function in your body. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because of some of the things that, that Christy's alluded to, and when we look at our, our diet and our lifestyle, we've actually seen patients who sometimes will say it's type 3 or type 1 and a half, where patients even who perhaps maybe have had type 1 all their lives, maybe their lifestyle now has also made them insulin resistant. Mm-hmm. So in the past where we saw a pretty predictable amount of insulin requirement for our type 1 diabetics, we've even seen the insulin requirement for, for these patients shoot way up. And certainly with lifestyle changes and dietary modifications, we might be able to cut back some even on, on type 1s, um, just depending on what their, their kind of baseline, baseline dose mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm. And what she's talking about, guys, is step back and talk about just the function of of insulin and where it comes from. Of course, your pancreas um, releases insulin in response to blood sugar and helps it keep in a normal range. Because one thing I also find folks get confused about is they think maybe they shouldn't have a blood sugar, like because they hear blood sugar is bad. You know, everybody's got a blood sugar. If you don't have blood sugar, you're not alive. We just have a, a range where we want those blood sugars to stay. And insulin is one of the things that helps do that with type one, um, folks, they are not making, the pancreas is literally not making that insulin anymore. So that's why you so said... It's more of a replacement. Yeah, really. it's a replacement. You, We have to have it to live. With type 2, you mentioned the word insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. So tell me what insulin resistance means. What's it mean to be resistant it's, to insulin? It's where your body needs more and more insulin to be able to utilize the glucose. Yeah, um, so it's it's kind of like your body doesn't recognize as much the, the, the sure. signal to use the, sure. the sugar from the, the insulin. And so we tend to get into a cycle um, sometimes with our type 2 diabetics, and that is you need more insulin. Well, unfortunately, insulin makes you hungry, mm. and it makes you gain weight, and you become more insulin resistant and then you need more insulin. And so we get into this sort of vicious cycle with insulin in our insulin-resistant mm-hmm. patients where you need more and more and it causes more weight gain. And what I really don't like about insulin, you know, for my type 2s, is insulin can drop your blood sugar, um, so it can be dangerous if you take too much. It does make you hungry. It, sometimes it can make you crave sweets, and it does make you hold on to weight. Mm-hmm. And that is where we have made a lot of progress over the past decade or so in the development of new medications for the treatment of not type 1 but type 2 diabetes 
where some of the orals or there are injections now that you can take if you have type 2 diabetes that aren't insulin. And I think mm-hmm. there's a big misconception out there as well. If you are on an injection for type 2 diabetes, you can be on an injection that's not insulin. Right. And, and those medications are really more weight beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, not only would they be weight neutral, some of them actually have been shown to help a patient or a person lose weight. We also get the added benefit of being able to cut back on the insulin, Mm -hmm. and we see an additional weight benefit with that as well. And I want to dive into that a little bit more and talk about some of these new medications. We're going to take our first break of the hour. Now's a perfect time to give us a call if you have a question about weight management, about diabetes, about cholesterol, any of these metabolic issues. We'd love to talk with you today. That number is 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell. Joining me today, we've got Christy Davis and Dr. Honey East, and we're talking about metabolic medicine today, in particular things like diabetes, high cholesterol, weight management, but really all of the disorders that you think about that kind of get clustered together, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, overweight, and obesity. Um, we do have a couple of open lines if you want to give us a call. That number is one eight seven seven mpb ring And we are going to go ahead and go to the phone lines. We've got a couple callers. I'm going to go to Waynesboro and talk to V this morning. Hello, V. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Good. What yes. can we do for you today? I would like to hear information about uh, the relationship between um, thyroid disease and high cholesterol. Okay. Um I know that um, the high cholesterol is familiar, runs in families, and um, I would like to hear the services that you offer at the Metabolic Center. Okay. All right, Dr. Easton, I'll turn it to you. And first of all, give us just a little, uh, because I think what she's referring to is familial hypercholesterolemia, which is a very large word uh, for this early in the morning. Um, We can call it FH. Okay, I love it, FH. Um, And is that something you guys treat? Absolutely. Yeah, all right. I'm also uh, board certified in clinical lipidology through the... National Lipid Association, um, American Board of Clinical Lipidology. So it really is one of my passions. Mm-hmm. And actually, the first person to get me interested in cholesterol was Dr. Rick. I oh, think, uh, yeah. Don't way you? back in yeah. the 1990s, he kind of saw where we were headed mm-hmm. with risk factors for cardiovascular disease and for metabolic disorders. And early on, he identified that cholesterol was going to be a big part mm-hmm. of that. Um, to answer the, the first part of the question, though, certainly uh, if your thyroid levels are off, it will affect your cholesterol levels. Generally, though, if we are able to get you to a what's called a 
euthyroid state, meaning thyroid levels are normal, we get you back to where they should be, then, then you should have what your cholesterol level would be otherwise. So as long as you're treated for a thyroid disorder, you should not have that much impact on your, on your okay. cholesterol. Um, as far as the familial uh, hypercholesterolemias, or, or FH, um, there are several different types. Um, you can be homozygous or heterozygous. Homozygous means you have one bad gene from both of your parents. Um, heterozygous means you get it from one. Um, there are perhaps the most common cause of familial uh, hypercholesterolemia is a defect on the receptor for your LDL, which is your bad cholesterol. So if you want to remember LDL for lousy mm-hmm. or HDL could be either happy or heavenly. But heavenly, I like heavenly, that one. There you go. It's, it's Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the LDL receptor being abnormal, uh, when that happens, you're not able to clear cholesterol out of your system, and it, and it builds up. Mm-hmm. And that's the most common genetic disorder that we see. Okay. And you guys do treat that over Absolutely at this clinic? Absolutely, we treat that, yes. They're um, generally ranges for LDL if you are heterozygous are usually around 190 or higher Mm -hmm. and the homozygous LDL cholesterol levels can get um, significantly higher than that the highest um, homozygous LDL level I've ever seen was around 900 oh wow that's impressive all right V did that answer your question Yes, thank you. You're so welcome. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more um, about hypercholesterolemias uh, in uh, a minute as well, because I've got some more questions for you, Dr. East. But we'll go on to line, uh, the next caller and talk with uh, James in Startville. Good morning, James. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine this morning. Uh, just a quick question. What is the correlation... I've noticed, I'm 60 years old, and I've noticed uh, a lot of these diseases we are speaking of, diabetes, uh, cholesterol, you name it. What is the correlation between how much our foods are now impregnated with all these chemicals for disease-resistant seeds, the steroids, and what have you that are pumped into all the meats we eat? Uh, how, how, how is this affecting all of these diseases? Uh, what's the correlation? Yeah, James, no, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think you've picked up on a, a very important point. And um, we, we have seen um, additives um, to... Uh, to our food products Mm -hmm. um, and to the animals um, that we process for food products. Um, And certainly I think the, the easiest recognizable change that we've seen with this is likely the onset of puberty um, Mm -hmm. at an earlier age for both girls and boys. Um, And when you look at the history of adding um, growth hormone and, and other additives to our foods, you know, you wonder what, what is happening um, to our children and, and, frankly, to us as well, mm-hmm. um, when we when we eat these products and we, we have these additives, certainly there are effects that we don't know yet. Um, the uh, endocrine societies we call these endocrine disrupting chemicals, um, EDCs for short, and we're learning more and more, and it really is quite frightening. 
Yeah, it is. You know, and from, you know, from my perspective and working with folks on dietary changes, um, you know, one of the things that I recommend is cutting back on animal products in general, just because animal products, regardless of whether you're a vegetarian, vegan, you know, plant based, whatever, animal products are going to have the, the most fat and saturated fat content versus a plant uh, product. So if you're concerned about hormones that are being added to animal products and that kind of things, just having a few meat free meals per week will help. Uh, decrease that load um, and but the thing that scares me is when folks don't choose fruits and vegetables because they're afraid of of the pesticides and things like that um, you know the health benefits of choosing fruits and vegetables are significant uh, in terms of weight management in terms of overall heart health so we definitely want to be eating those um, you know we want to choose organic when we can um, but we don't want to go, well, I can't afford an organic apple, so I'm going to eat French fries instead. Um, doesn't really work that way. Um, you can still, um, you know, go to your local farmer's markets, speak with the farmers that are growing these foods about how they um, farm. Um, because most of them um, would probably qualify as organic. They just can't, they can't afford the organic label that it takes to do those things. And then there's always really, really, really good washing of the, of the produce. And then if you're really concerned, you are going to lose some of the fiber, but you can peel those things as well and not consume um, that fiber there. So um, diet really does matter and the quality of our food uh, does matter. And it's great that you're, you're thinking about what you're putting in your mouth because it really does impact our overall health there. Christy, anything you want to add to that? Uh, well, I think I think that was a great response. So I just wanted to add, if you are consuming something from a can, which, you know, mm-hmm. we all do, we all have yep. to sometimes, that, you know, reading that food label and really seeing what you're taking in your mm-hmm. body is very important. And comparing the food labels to see, you know, is this the best choice that I can make? That you just can really make. just mm-hmm. making the best choice you can make is, is the, you know, the goal. Yep. All right, James, thank you for giving us a call on this Monday, and we hope that that helped you out there. If not, you can always send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Now, Dr. East, um, I want to go back a little bit and talk about um, the familial hypercholesterolemia a little bit, because I was sharing with you um, before uh, before the show um, that my family um, and I, we all struggle with, with cholesterol issues. My my dad um, has some pretty significant cholesterol issues, and um, I've had some as well. I've shared that on the show before about how I don't let it derail um, my my journey to eating healthy um, and and exercising and those kinds of things because I do eat eat well, I exercise, and my cholesterol is still high, so it can be a little bit discouraging for folks. Um, but you mentioned that you know sometimes it's in the genetics there. Um, sometimes it is in the genetics, yeah. and it. it may not matter in certain people, mm-hmm. you know, how, how much you diet or exercise. It certainly doesn't mean that you shouldn't right. follow a good diet <laughs> and that you shouldn't exercise right. because um, that's important not only for cholesterol, but as, as we were talking about, all of these disease processes, really, you can't separate them out. Yeah. Um, and, and exercising and, and following a healthy diet not only is going to um, help with cholesterol even you know, even if your cholesterol is okay, right. um, it's still, you can always be better. Um, and it also though helps with weight and helps with blood pressure and helps mm-hmm. with glucose tolerance mm-hmm. and insulin resistance. Right. I mean, they all go together. It's one big, one big happy family together. there. Yeah. So, you know, several years ago, the cholesterol guidelines were kind of reorganized. Mm-hmm. So we used to have kind of very 
hard and fast guidelines that we gave mm-hmm. folks. Like your total cholesterol has to be under 200. Mm-hmm. Your LDL needs to be under 100. And then new guidelines came out, and it's a little less broad. It's more you got to look at the individual. Well, absolutely. Medicine, I think, altogether is becoming more and more individualized. And I think that's something that, that Christy and I certainly strive for mm-hmm. is to treat the individual and not just right. the numbers. Uh, so when we when we look at um, cholesterol, the first thing we really want to know is we want to know about your family history. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, when we talk about HDL or your good cholesterol, um, we know that from a population basis, the higher your HDL is, the, quote, better, better right. off you should be. Um, however, there are patients who have higher levels of HDL who develop heart disease because their HDL doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And when we measure HDL, we are looking at the absolute HDL level. We are not able to measure HDL activity. So there is a family in Milan, Italy, um, and there we now call it an HDL APOA1 Milano. And these patients have very low HDL levels. And so, you know, you may go um, to a provider and they may say, oh, this is terrible. You know, your mm-hmm. HDL is five. But if you happen to be from Milan, there is the po- or your ancestry is from Milan, there is a possibility that your HDL is sort of hyperactive, if you will. Mm. And so even though the, the level reads is very low, the activity level is very high. So just because on a population basis someone, you know, is supposed to be better off with a high HDL, that may not, not necessarily always be the case. So we take that and we extrapolate it to each individual. So you come to see me, you say, you know, I, I, I eat right, I exercise, you know, you're, you're out there, you're Zumba-ing it, mm-hmm. right? Oh, there I am Zumba-ing it. That's right. She's, she's Zumba-ing it. She's doing, <laughs> she's doing everything she can, and, she, and, and you're frustrated, perhaps, yeah. because yeah. you feel like things aren't changing. Well, likely there is a genetic component then. And so the question would be, is that genetic component? dangerous is that something that we need to do something about and this is where we start getting into individualized therapy Mm -hmm. so i would ask you you know is there a family history of premature disease you know have people keeled over dead of a heart attack or stroke when they were 40 or 45 you know what is your family history other people who have your same genes do they run into problems Mm -hmm. right and you know so from from my perspective, lots of high cholesterol in the family, no premature deaths there. And so, you know, what I've been faced with is do I start a statin, mm-hmm. you know, which is, of course, that big class of medications that we all think of when we think of high cholesterol. And, you know, I have been a little hesitant to start it. I know I have patients who are very hesitant to start statin therapy. And so I want to talk a little bit about what statin therapy is, or, you know, what the, you know, side effects of that may be why I'm a little hesitant to start it and are there other options out there for us that need need some kind of um, medicine to help with cholesterol but I do want to take a quick break um, give us time to get some more callers on the line that number is one 672 and my email is fit at mpbonline.org and we'll address those questions about statins when we come back from the break
Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and today we're talking all about metabolic medicine, things like diabetes and high cholesterol. And my guests are Dr. Honey East and Christy Davis, and they're with Metabolic Medicine of Mississippi. Before we went on the break, um, I was uh, getting some advice about statin medication, and that is um, usually a medication for high cholesterol, but my patients are sometimes hesitant to start it. I know that there are a lot of questions going on about statins and whether they're a good thing or a bad thing and what they're doing to us long term. Um, Dr. East, what you know, what's the deal with statins? Well, look, I, you know, I'm... I'm I'm, I'm certainly um, empathetic, um, and I understand there are there are certain patients who can't take right. statins. But when you look at the data, your chance of dying from a statin uh, is less than one in a million. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we live in Mississippi. Depending on your risk, your chance of dying from a heart attack and stroke could be one in three. Bigger than that. Uh, so yeah. you know, when, when we look at, well, I don't want to take this medicine because it could be harmful. Right. Well, absolutely. Um, but look at your other risk. Right. Um, and and what is the risk really of not taking the medicine? Right. And, and I think right. sometimes we we get too focused on on reading this the small print, and, and we should read the small print. And certainly there are potential side effects. But what are the side effects of not taking the mm-hmm. medicine? And you know, again, it's it's one thing to have a heart attack, but it's another thing to have a stroke. Yeah. Um, you know, e- either is bad. Right. Um, that I know personally. You know, my, my mother had had strokes, and um, you know, my father had my my father died from a stroke. And my concern is, you know, what is the risk of not taking right. the medicine? Right. We know that when you take these statins, depending on your baseline risk, we're going to reduce your risk of having a heart mm-hmm. attack or a stroke by, you know, somewhere around 30 to 40, 50%, just depending on your risk factors. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the, probably the, the top side effect that I have people ask me about is, is muscle pain mm-hmm. and muscle soreness. Mm-hmm. Um, when should we worry about that? So uh, there's something called rhabdomyolysis, um, and, and certainly we see that. Um, a lot of times it will happen, though, when the medication is misused um, and used in combination with another medicine that you're not supposed to use it with. Right. Certainly uh, muscle aches and pains um, are very common. A lot of times people will stop the medicine and, um, and continue to have muscle aches and pains. They may come and go. There are a lot of things that cause muscle yeah. aches and pains. Yeah. What really concerns me is when a patient tells me that they're experiencing weakness. Mm, that the muscles um, are weak. That they're weak. Um, yeah. and, that's, and that's certainly uh, something that, that I really do perk my ears up and, and, yeah. and take, a, take a good look at that. Yeah. And then the, the other piece of it is blood sugar mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. So there's been some stuff in the news about statins and the fact that they may cause mm-hmm. elevated blood sugar mm-hmm. levels. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that can be very discouraging for folks if they think, I'm taking this medicine to improve, mm-hmm. you know, decrease my risk of having a heart attack and stroke, but what if it gives me diabetes? Well, I can tell you at the, at the National uh, Lipid Association, you know, the general consensus is yes. Um, and statins certainly may increase your risk for having elevations in your blood sugar, but we see this more often in patients who already have impaired fasting glucose or impaired glucose tolerance, mm-hmm. patients who have this prediabetes state who are at increased risk. The question then becomes, you know, how much is it probably going to increase your glucose? Mm. And it looks like it's fairly negligible, again, when you compare it to what you're doing. And what you're doing is you're reducing your risk for a heart attack Mm. or a stroke by taking the medication. So all in all, a viable option for folks who who we're trying to trying to keep as healthy as we can. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. We're going to go to the phone lines and talk with uh, Tracy in Ridgeland. Good morning, Tracy. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I was so excited to hear Dr. East and Christy on the radio this morning. Um, 
I didn't realize that she had a new practice, and I, I just like to know where her clinic is. So I can, as a former patient, I want to be able to make an appointment. I need to get my thyroid checked. Need to get your thyroid checked. All right. Yes. So, yeah. So, Dr. East, where is that clinic located again? Hey, Tracy, it's good to hear from you. We're at uh, 1551 East County Line Road, and our number is 601-790-1233. And if, if you remember Freedom, she'll be glad to take your phone call. Oh, she's great. Yes. Okay, well, thank you. I'm so excited. She's still doing roller derby, too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I've enjoyed listening to y'all this morning. Well, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate that, and thank you for giving us a call today. Okay, thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Um, Christy, we were talking a little bit before the show as well about um, weight management medications because I think that's another kind of class of medicines that is misunderstood by folks a lot. Um, you know, I know the, the one that I get asked to prescribe a lot is Adipex, um, but there are, other, there are other medicines out there, right, that we can use for weight management if, if that's needed. First of all, talk about who would qualify for a medication for weight management. So for weight management, uh, we look for someone that has a BMI greater than 27 and a comorbidity, so something that would be weight-related, such as high blood pressure or diabetes or something like that, that maybe their weight is contributing to that comorbidity. Mm-hmm. Now, if their BMI is 30 or above, rather, regardless of whether they have a comorbidity or not, then they would uh, qualify for medication. Now, sometimes if someone is very petite, say of Asian descent, there's a lot of literature out there about even to go in as low as a BMI of 23 and being wow. abnormal, especially when you think about people that tend to carry their weight um, in the bad region, around right. their waist. around the middle. That, right, around the middle. We definitely want to try to um, get the waistline for women under uh, 30 five inches and for men under 40 inches so there's there's a couple different you know things you could look at it's not all height and weight um i hope he's not listening but i use my husband as an example all the time (laughs) he better be listening you're on the radio he's five four and a half um but he's in the military Mm -hmm. and so he is um by his bmi morbidly obese but he is very muscular and Mm -hmm. um very stout and so he's not a he's not a good person to go by the bmi right um so you have to kind of look at the whole person as dr e said you really have to be individualized towards it um and yes we do have newer medications um in the last couple years we've had some good things coming out i think we have more to come um what you get out of ask about a lot the fentramine or adipex Mm -hmm. that's uh one that's been around since the 50s, used for weight management since the 70s. Um, a lot of people got really scared of it in the 90s when we had FinFin, mm-hmm. and that was a combination medication that um, was two separate medications that weren't really um, FDA approved. Yeah, they should be play used. together. Yeah, so um, they had some people that had some heart valve problems, mm-hmm. um, bad cardiac problems from that, and so we know that the fentramine component was not um, what contributed to that, and we're still using that for weight management. Um, good points is it's cheap, you know, um, and a lot of people can't afford that. Some of the other medications, we are starting to see a lot of really great insurance coverage for those, but some of them can get kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so the better medications, though, tend to control appetite in a different way mm-hmm. than Adipex. Mm-hmm. Adipex is a stimulant, um, only approved for short-term use. It tends to make you not feel hungry. Um, and a lot of people like that. And they mm-hmm. say, it gives me energy, right. which is, you know, really a side effect. But, you know, think about people that may be a nervous eater. And you can't see me, but I'm raising my hand on this. So <laughs> if I get nervous and I eat and you give me a stimulant that makes me nervous, I may gain weight on right, that one, actually. 
Um, and so the newer medications work in different ways. Some of them make you feel fuller longer. Some way um, delay how fast the food is actually traveling through your GI tract. We have uh, one contrave in particular that works on um, emotional eating and cravings and kind of works on that, that reward feedback sense, um, system in your brain. So there's a lot of newer type medications that we can use that are safer honestly Mm -hmm. and approved for long-term use because what we know is you take these medications and if you do not make the lifestyle Mm -hmm. changes the diet the exercise and as soon as you stop taking this medicine one you're not going to lose as much as you could there it's going to come back yeah i just have to say from my standpoint if i have a patient who um i've sent to see christy and and christy works really hard with people um and when they come back and they have lost the weight, it is so much fun to be able to start taking people off, off of medicines, medicines yeah. for yes. their cholesterol, off of medicines for their blood pressure, off of medicines for their diabetes. And that's that's really one, I think, of the most rewarding parts of our jobs. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, I've been saying lately that with lifestyle medicine, it's the most fun I've had in an exam room in a really long time because you do get to take people off of medicines that they've been on and and thought they were going to be on forever you know i had a sweet lady who was like wait i don't have to take diabetes medicine anymore and i was like you you don't you don't need it right now you know you're controlling things because you've made excellent lifestyle changes and you can see that i mean with weight loss as little as three to five percent you can see huge changes i mean it's amazing and most of us don't like to take medicines let's face it most of us really don't like to take the medicines well we forget but it it takes (laughs) okay (laughs) i forget to take we we can set it on our alarm on our phone we can get a pill box there's things we can Mm -hmm. do for that but, uh, you know, the, the, the alternative is let's change our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Let's change our diet. Let's increase our exercise. Mm-hmm. And if we do all that, then, then perhaps we will be able to come off of some of these medicines. Mm-hmm. But you can't say, I don't want to take the medicines just because I don't want to take the right. medicines without putting in the effort. Right. Right. And the, and the same, the flip of that is true. You can't just take the medicines and not try and, and clean up the lifestyle as well, because eventually we're just going to have to increase medication dosages you know to keep the the condition under control and you so start really, taking medicines to fight the side effects right of the medicine. right absolutely. so it's, it's a it's vicious a cycle yeah it's a tool absolutely yeah. it is a tool um that you've got to have um in your arsenal just like bariatric procedures like we've talked before not everybody is a candidate for that but it is a tool in in kind of this battle that we're fighting to help people live uh, you know as long as they can and be as healthy as they can um, but so. i do want to go back briefly if you don't mind just sure. to the the diabetes medication yeah absolutely um, and for type 2 not for type 1 but for type 2 diabetes the older medicines such as um, insulin and what's called sulfonylureas um, those are the medicines that they do they 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 increase your weight they can make you hungry and they can drop your sugars and that's where the newer agents have been so beneficial mm-hmm. in breaking that cycle and if Sometimes even if you do lose the three to five percent, you know the the way that you feel, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the increase, the improvement that we see in our blood sugars is is just amazing. Mm-hmm. It is. And you mentioned sulfonylureas. Can I say how much I dislike that class of medications? Um, I just don't like them at all. But uh, that would be like gliburide. Those mm-hmm. kinds of medications fall in the sulfonylurea class, and they they worked, they did their job for a while. But we've just got better stuff. We do. Now. We, we don't have really good 
controlled trial evidence that from a cardiovascular standpoint they are safe. Mm -hmm. Some of the newer medications the FDA is now requiring that we have cardiovascular data. Some of the newer medications including the injectable um, and there's an there's an oral medication as well that has been shown not only to be safe from a cardiovascular standpoint but also to reduce right. cardiovascular risk and uh, if you've mor been morbidity and mortality. been watching commercials um, which I know not everybody watches commercials now because they fast forward through everything they're actually starting to market those medications for that if you have diabetes and heart disease this is the medicine for you um, so there are some really great ones out there that um, are showing much much better benefits than some of the older ones that we were using all right we're going to go ahead and take our last break of the hour so now is the time to give us a call if you have a question for these ladies our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four we'll be back after the break Josie Bidwell, and today we're talking all about metabolic medicine with my guests, Dr. Honey East, and soon to be Dr. Christy Davis, and they're with Metabolic Medicine of Mississippi, and we've had some great callers um, asking some great questions about metabolic health, um, things related to blood sugar, to cholesterol, heart health, all of those different kinds of things, um, and so um, I've really been interested in hearing about some of the new medications that are coming out for some of these, or that are already out, but we're just not haven't been utilizing them quite as much. Christy talked a lot about some of the newer weight loss medications out there. But what I've heard from both of these ladies is that regardless of the medications you use, the lifestyle piece is super important there. So we're going to go ahead and go over to the phone lines and talk with um, Lionel this morning in Jackson. Good morning. Good morning. Did I get your name right or did I mess it up? Like the train, Lionel. Like the train, toot toot. All right. What can we do for you today? Oh, I had a question uh, about uh, certain food products such as Benicol and whether or not if used in certain ways they can actually lower uh, cholesterol levels or lipid levels. Okay. Absolutely. Um, there are there are many over-the-counter uh, products that have been shown to lower uh, cholesterol levels. Uh, for LDL cholesterol, we can look at plant stainols or ster mm -hmm. sterols, or we can look at soluble fiber. Um, mm -hmm. Plants um, have stainols or sterols as their, as their cell walls, and we use cholesterol to make our membranes with um, cell membranes. But when we ingest plant stainols, we will preferentially absorb those, and we can see uh, a decrease in our cholesterol mm -hmm. levels, particularly in our LDL levels. You know, generally we're looking at somewhere between eh, five, ten percent with that. And we talk about when when we use the the statin drugs, you're looking at over a reduction of somewhere around 
35 to 40 mm-hmm. percent in your LDL right. level. So we do see absolutely, and that's and that's very important. And again, you can get these through just food products. Yeah, yeah. Benicol, you mentioned it's a um, an alternative kind of spread. Um, and then Smart Balance also has one that has added plant sterols um, to it. There's actually a diet plan out there, you know, even though I don't like the word diet, an, an eating plan out there called the portfolio diet that talks about the addition of um, plant sterols into the diet to help lower cholesterol. And we do see some reductions in those types of things. Um, so if someone, you know, can't tolerate a statin or is just flat not going to take it, it can definitely be um, um, a way to do that. Um, but, you know, I sound like a broken record, but add more plants is never a bad idea. You know, <laughs> to your diet, it always helps there. <laughs> Vegetables, 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 vegetables. They're so delicious. And Um, when we talk about triglycerides, though, it's also important to remember the reduction that we see with fish oil Mm -hmm. uh, with that. And Mm -hmm. so your your more fatty fish can also help reduce your triglyceride levels. Salmon, uh, tuna, some of those types of things. Um, Even some mackerel. I don't see a lot of mackerel eating around here. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it does tend to be one of the higher mercury fishes. So people tend to stay away from it a little bit more. Um, And then just omega-3s in general, um, which you can get from your fatty fishes. You can also get from you know, chia seeds and flax seeds and those kind of things um, as well there. So absolutely, food matters. Great. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, and, and so, gosh, we've had a lot of great callers today asking lots of really good questions about you know, how diet relates, how medications relate. Um, briefly, um, Dr. East, I, I know I wanted to touch on um, thyroid very briefly because mm-hmm. I know that there are a lot of folks out there and we did talk about it as it relates to cholesterol a little bit um, but talk to me about thyroid and weight because I see a lot of folks associating you know hypothyroidism to to weight and you know how much of an effect does that really have on our weight your thyroid is a gland mm-hmm. um, and I think the easiest way to understand it is almost as if your ovary is a gland mm-hmm. um, and so when we go through menopause um, we don't make estrogen and um, sometimes people will choose to take estrogen replacement mm-hmm. um, the thyroid is not an option if, if your thyroid is not working then you have to you take have to. Um, the thyroid replacement the the goal is to make you again something called euthyroid where your your thyroid levels are normal in your blood and we can actually check your free level of thyroid in your blood we uh, correlate that to a hormone that's made by your pituitary gland which is called your TSH mm-hmm. and if your TSH and your free level of thyroid in your blood are, are both normal then in all likelihood you have achieved a euthyroid mm-hmm. state mm-hmm. in the euthyroid state um, metabolism from that standpoint should be okay now mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that can affect your weight and your energy level and I think Sometimes we forget about other glands, Mm -hmm. Um, and and one gland in particular that I'm interested in is the adrenal gland, and the adrenal gland makes a a hormone called cortisol, and what cortisol does is it it participates in your fight-or-flight syndrome. Mm -hmm. So when we're stressed, which I think a lot of us are chronically stressed, our cortisol levels go up, and when that happens, it sends our blood pressure up, it sends our sugars up, it sends our weight up, and it makes us gain weight. Guess where we gain that weight? Not in any place good. No, we right. We gain it. We gain it around the middle. In the belly. We gain it around the middle, and in then the we have to go see Christy because mm-hmm. she's very unhappy with us. She, she whips out that tape measure, and I she's know. got it around your waist before you know what's mm-hmm. happened. 
And so, you know, if you are still having weight problems and your doctor tells you or your provider tells you that your thyroid levels are normal and they don't think it's coming from your thyroid, you know, please don't forget there are a lot of things that factor into weight. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly as we get older and our metabolism slows down, it's important that we maintain muscle mass because muscle burns more calories. If we have been hypothyroid for a long period of time before we are replaced, Adding more replacement may not help. What we may need to do is we may need to build back up our muscle yeah. mass. Yeah, and that's resistance training, folks. You know, a lot of a lot of folks think of exercise as just cardio, and that's absolutely a piece of it. Well, we've got to add in some of that resistance to help build some of that muscle back. And that doesn't mean you have to go bench pressing and slinging weights around. There are plenty of body weight exercises that we can do to help build build some of that muscle um, back up there. But you know, just like you mentioned, it's more complex than pointing to one particular thing that that may be not functioning appropriately, um, you know, from other lifestyle perspectives. I mean, you got to look at mental health. you got to look at anxiety and depression and see, sleep. you know, and sleep. sleep. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I cannot tell you how, me- how much of my practice is spent related to, to sleep and how to help people sleep better and rule out sleep disorders and treat the sleep disorders appropriately because people don't necessarily think, okay, I've got sleep apnea. That, I know it makes my blood pressure bad, but that's kind of all they, they think it is. But it doesn't. It drives cravings. It drives high blood sugars. You know, it makes depression worse, which makes eating worse. So sleep is so foundational to our health. So we can't just look at, at one particular thing when we're trying to really tackle weight. Well, we repair our bodies when mm-hmm. we sleep. Yeah. You know, that's our anabolic state. Yeah. Um, and when we're, when we're awake, we're in a catabolic state. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's very important that we get adequate rest so that we can heal our body right. so that we do have the energy to go on during the day. Right, absolutely. So, you know, that's always uh, you know, something that I recommend folks have a conversation with their health care p- provider about. You know, if you if you are not feeling rested in the morning, then we got to look and see what's going on. And, you, you know, know, that's the most common cause that I see of testosterone deficiencies really? is, is sleep disorders. Sleep disorders. Mm-hmm. Well, that's mm-hmm. a... So a, not only... Yeah. It can also affect your testosterone levels. Wow. For men, that's very important. Oh, it, it is very, very important. I have lots of patients who ask me about that as well. So that'll just be more evidence to why I think we need to attack your your sleep um, from that perspective. So it's very, very complex. We hope we've given you guys um, some good information today about all the things that can affect um, your blood sugar, your cholesterol, and your just your overall health. If you need more information about anything we've talked about today, you can always send me an email at at mpbonline.org. You can go see these ladies in clinic at Metabolic Medicine of Mississippi. You see Christy Davis. Uh, she's a nurse practitioner, Dr. Honey East, and they'll help uh, get you taken care of as well. I would like to thank both of these ladies for being on the show with me today and sharing all this great information. I look forward to having you back on the show as well to talk some more about these things. As always, thanks to our listeners and callers for making this show great. Be sure to tune in every weekday at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit.